In this episode, I talked with Sandy Peng, co-founder of Scroll, a zero-knowledge EVM scaling solution for Ethereum. We talked about Ethereum's culture and choosing decentralization and immutability over scaling, Scroll's decentralization and security, its plans for a decentralized prover network, EVM equivalence versus EVM compatibility, how much of a concern first-mover advantage is in the scaling solution space, why we're seeing so much ZK activity right now, how to coordinate open source building, how to incentivize developer and community participation, and much more. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. You can always contact us on Twitter at coinpost underscore global, which is also where you can join these spaces live. All right, I hope you enjoy this one. GM. 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 GM Radio. Okay, GM everyone, welcome back to GM Radio, CoinPost's Twitter space and podcast series interviewing the most meaningful projects in crypto. I'm your host, Bradley Lowen, and today I'm joined by Sandy Peng, co-founder of Scroll. Scroll is a ZK rollup that's striving for EVM equivalence, so we'll be talking about that and much more. GM Sandy, welcome to the show. GM, GM Brad, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited too. Um, to kick things off, maybe uh, if you could just uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, I'd love to hear about your background before crypto and how you came to crypto. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I, I'm one of the co-founders for Scroll, and um, we started the project about two years ago. And um, the, the, the catalyst for starting this project was that um, at what I, so 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 uh, backtracking a little bit so so prior to starting scroll I've been an investor in the crypto web3 space since 2017 and prior to that I had a mobile game startup and um, kind of exited that um, around 2017 so so while I was running that um, a lot of the interesting Bitcoin and Ethereum research came into light. So we were kind of toying around whether it's possible to, to use Ethereum with the promise of it being kind of a decentralized world computer to process some of the kind of the in-game in tokens and, and make sure users can be transferred from one game to another. And um, But back back in those days, it wasn't really possible. And um, But, you know, I, I continued and, and kind of kept an eye on uh, kind of core Ethereum research, and um, and and then as an investor, um, I think I've I've kind of spent a lot of time researching um, different layer ones and, and trying to that uh, that trying to solve the scalability problem from different angles, and and over the years, I think one of the core theses that that, that came back that that I came back to consistently was that um, was that Ethereum, um, even though it's kind of relatively um, slow and expensive, but is always aware of the latest research. Research. And um, and 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 the reason it continues to be relatively slow to other L ones is because it always makes the choice um, for use like it always makes the choice of decentralization over scaling. So um, a lot of the Ethereum choices are not because of its kind of lack of knowledge of the latest research, but because it prioritizes security and decentralization and user funds and also the uh, immutability aspect. Um, as, as opposed to kind of a singularly kind of focusing on scaling. And obviously the scaling narrative is super important and, and lots of chains have found success in being able to deliver a user-friendly and, and, and also fast and, and, and cheap product. So, so I think that the product market fit has already been proven. And, um, and, and as I kind of got 
dive dove deeper and deeper into the Ethereum rabbit hole, um, you know, I, I think th there's just a very, very strong cultural phenomenon that's very, very hard to replicate. Um, having spent time in around like multiple other ecosystems, I think this cultural fabric of trying to do the right thing, trying to kind of play a fair game and, and focusing on long-term growth and, um, and, and as part of that kind of infinite garden analogy is really, really strong. And, um, and, 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 and I think that that's what drew me kind of closer and closer to the Ethereum ecosystem. And so when, when two years ago, when I, when I met Ye and Haitan, my co-founders on the um, ETH research forum, um, Ye had a PhD paper pending um, on, 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 on how to use kind of um, physical hardware to outsource on-chain proving in a way that could, in theory, be 100 times more efficient than, than the EVM current setup. So that was a super exciting discovery. And um, so, so while he was waiting for that paper to be published, we started kind of toying around and, and wrote kind of a, a white paper and, and posted it on ETH Research. And immediately, we were just kind of met with um, an overwhelming amount of kind of support from researchers in the open source community. And, um, and, and I think some of our kind of first engineers and, and first like early researchers all found us um, through the Ethereum research community. And, and that's very, very exciting in the sense that, you know, there were multiple people on the team that we've never met before. And um, even until like a year ago, I think there are at least half of the scroll crew that I, I've not personally met um, because everyone is just scattered around the world. Um, everyone is inspired by the Ethereum vision and also interested in the latest um, zero knowledge proof research. And, um, and, and so we have, um, you know, we we have people from like from Poland, from from Ukraine, and uh, from Taiwan, from um, you know US and you know uh, Brazil, etc. So it's a it's a truly global team of really excellent mathematicians and and zk engineers, and um, and I don't think this would be possible, you know, without the whole strong kind of open source cultural fabric and also this kind of um, open and, and and collaborative mechanism. So I think one of the one of the hallmarks of kind of the scroll culture that we're trying to cultivate and maintain is this kind of sense of um, openness and, and transparency and, and collaborativeness so that people from around the world, as they continue to kind of watch where our development process is heading. Oh, yeah. And, and another kind of distinguishing factor is that we've been, we've been open source since day one. And I think that really adds to the, um, the, the, the kind of the security assumptions. And essentially what that means is that if you're an academic interested in, in this, um, you can you can you can you can see what we're pushing the, the, the code that we're pushing to the to the repo um, on, on a weekly basis and um, if if you spot any problems or, or ways that you know you, you know ways or, or have any questions then then there are people kind of answering those and addressing them real time as we build out this project and um, another interesting thing and, and kind of like a, a lesser known fact about scroll is that um, we, we started off as a, as, a, as a kind of a community project and um, it's kind of co-led by us and the Ethereum Foundation's um, Privacy and Scaling Exploration Group, um, short for PSE. And um, so even till today, um, our, 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 our public ZK EVM repo um, is shared with the PSE and, um, and we do kind of like join group calls and, um, and, 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 and kind of being able to participate in such a kind of a global and, and open, transparent um, 
open source project. It, it's a it's a new experience for me, and um and, and I've really enjoyed it. And um yeah, so so we're fast forward to today. We're well, we're roughly kind of um, well, we're roughly like fifty to sixty people around the world, and um, yeah, and, and we've had a test net running since um, since August last year. Um, yeah, I hope that that captures most of it. Yeah, yeah, very comprehensive, and so much, so much with that, that I want to dig into. I love that you started with uh, talking about Ethereum's culture and how uh, the maybe the the beliefs or the worldview of its developers may differ from uh, developers of other layer one blockchains. Um, and I would I would like to go into that a little bit more because I think often we get caught up, especially in this space, we get caught up in in like uh, faster chains, more transactions, more throughput. And uh, so I would love to hear more because you mentioned um, some priorities that ha that Ethereum has that may uh, mean that it develops slower. I may uh, be able to process fewer transactions on the on the main chain, but uh, it prioritizes other things like decentralization. So I'm wondering, for you and your project, what is the importance of decentralization? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Um, I think when whenever we think about decentralization in the context of building out the protocol, um, we think of it as a as a necessity. It, it's an absolute must. Um, without decentralization, um, we, we might as well be in Web two. Um, there's no fundamental difference. Um, and and also we think about decentralization. Um, in a in in a context of creating no single point of failure, and I think that's that's quite a unique view, and and I can expand a little bit more about what I mean later on, um, but 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 addressing the first question, um, I think uh, Ethereum ecosystem as a whole is shifting towards a um, what Vitalik calls a row up centric roadmap. And within that roadmap context, Ethereum layer one with this kind of legacy of the EVM machine and um, its core function will be providing decentralization, security, and, um, and, and also data availability. That's going to be its core function once layer two as a category matures. And um, layer two as a, as a whole um, will become the transaction layer for, for Ethereum. So, um, so you can think of it as um, you know, scroll or any any layer two becoming the the, the the interface that 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 developers directly interact with, and um, Ethereum being the underlying the solid foundation with millions of validators um, that that guarantees the security. So essentially, all layer twos um, in in an art category of kind of academic sense um, carries or inherits the same decentralization. A level as layer one from a fund safety perspective. So, in essence, um, in theory, if one day um, you know that the network of any layer two shuts down, then the users' funds are locked and secured in Ethereum layer one. So, as long as Ethereum layer one is not under attack um, or or it's still functioning, then um, your your funds are retrievable, like fully fully retrievable, and, and that's very very important. So, essentially, none of the layer twos are starting from. 
from day one, where you only have one single kind of team or or or, or, or entity controlling it. Um, we're, we're starting from day one. The minute we launch, we're starting from millions of validators to kind of um, safeguard the network. Um, but we think about decentralization scroll um, in a sense that's a little bit further down the decentralization level. So we're, we're thinking about different levels of different layers and verticals of decentralization. So um, one of the one of the critical critiques of layer twos is that um, all the layer twos uh, currently run their own serve, uh, run their own provers, and um, and that means if a particular project um, decides to shut down their prover, um, then the layer two will cease the function. So uh, a quick reminder is that your your funds are still safe, but then like you know uh, the, the the layer two will cease the function if a certain entity decides to no longer operate that prover, and um and and one of our innovation and something we've proposed since day one is that Scroll wants to have a decentralized prover network, so that. As as a group of people, or as a as a as a as a as a as a, as a, as a, as a protocol, um, doesn't have any single point of failure. So that's something we're we're working towards, and um, and and we kind of have a um, have have plans to kind of and uh, uh, to kind of uh, kind of engage more community members to to become kind of prover validators. And I think that's a um, and and that's part of the roadmap for for, for Scroll to become truly community-owned and, and community-centric in over the next couple of months. Oh, that's a pretty quick timeline over the next couple of months. What uh, what would that look like? Um, I assume this is one of the things that, uh, that sets you apart from other uh, roll-ups, which is something I wanted to ask about. So I'm curious, uh, um, what are the challenges involved in a decentralized prover network? And uh, yeah, what's that going to look like going forward? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so yes, it is one of the main differentiators that that one one of our um, differentiating factors compared to other row ups, and um, we we want to be community centric and also community owned, and 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 so prover being the entity that captures the MEV fees from the vibrancy of the network, that is the kind of the uh, that is like a major source of income that we're revenue that we're, that we're happy to share with the wider community. And um well we'll have a well we'll have more details as opposed to how to do that. But the difficulty of doing that is that it needs to be designed architecturally at the beginning. Um, so I think if a roll-up was designed to be decentralized, um, to have a prover ecosystem from day one, then then that's totally achievable, and and we've kind of well, we're kind of like designed that way. So um, yeah, and and we plan on kind of decentralizing this, uh, kind of opening up this process uh, before our mainnet. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, coming down the pipeline very quickly, and what would the I don't know if this is uh, an appropriate question, but w would there be hardware requirements for someone to uh, participate in that network? Uh, uh, so, 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 no. Um, our our aim is to engage the, um, the 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 current set of Ethereum uh, miners who are using standardized GPUs, and um, there might need to be a little bit of a technical upgrade. And um, but nothing major on the hardware custom side, and and they should be and, and everyone should be able to participate. So um, standard hardware that should be kind of easily found um, anywhere in the world. Okay, so the the prover network would mirror the uh, the uh, Ethereum network. 
It would mirror. So essentially, each prover will be running a, um, a, a a kind of a Go Ethereum node, and it would become a processor of um, and, and kind of a guarantor of the Scroll Layer Two ecosystem. Right, makes sense. Um, okay, uh, taking it back a little bit, I'm mm -hmm. just curious. At the beginning, when you were when you were looking at uh, these different uh, possibilities for rollups and uh, wanted to. Um, get involved in that space. Um, I mean, there are a lot of different options for rollups. I mean, we're seeing optimistic rollups, zero knowledge rollups, and then even within the zk space, a lot of different types. Um, what were your thoughts approaching the space, and why did you um, choose the path that you did? Um, so I think if you ask me, I would have a very different answer from the answer of if you ask yeah. From from my perspective, I'm I'm a generalist. Um, and so I approached this problem just by keeping an eye on the big open problems in the Ethereum space. And the, 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 the heavy prover overhead has been a big problem that existed for many years. And, um, and, and there hasn't been an elegant solution. So from my perspective as an investor and a, and a, and a relative generalist in the space, um, is I, I, I kind of identify this as a huge problem. And, um, and, and while I'm kind of doing research and keeping an eye out on, on new things that are, are popping out on the horizon in, in the academic space, um, any kind of solutions to this potential problem um, kind of engages me and excites me as a, as a huge opportunity. Um, from Yes' perspective, he's been researching zero-knowledge proof for, for many years uh, prior to his PhD and also in PhD. And also he was a hardware researcher prior to um, his kind of cryptography PhD. And, and those two disciplines are uh, a, a very far flung from each other. And, um, and it takes somebody with a very diverse set of interest and, um, and, 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 and kind of different outlook to be able to kind of, um, kind of cross um, kind of cross different categories of academic discipline and, and make that connection. So um, from, from Yes' perspective, um, it's something that he's been researching for a while and he discovered this problem in Ethereum that could be solved by his research. And from my perspective is that I'm aware of this problem in Ethereum and I discovered this new research that could solve this problem. And, um, and when Haitian and, and Haitian joined us as the lead engineer and um, from his perspective, he has amazing skill sets. Like he was running, he, he, he was a PhD in, um, in, in hardware acceleration from university of Washington. And, um, and he also ran a engineering team in Amazon doing prover optimization, which are all very, very relevant to our, our current kind of architecture and design thinking. So um, I think we all came to this from slightly different angles and backgrounds and, and kind of um, kind of uh, met and, 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 you know, discovered that we're super aligned on the vision and, and what we wanted to achieve. And so I think that that was the kind of the beginning and, and, and genesis of Scroll. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, like you mentioned, your team is uh, decentralized around the world. So I'm sure probably every member of your team kind of has a story like that where they bring a different uh, piece to the puzzle in uh, in building Scroll. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, another thing, if I'm not mistaken, another kind of differentiator between Scroll and other uh, proposed ZK rollups is uh, EVM equivalence versus EVM compatibility. Could you speak a bit about that, why you're uh, pursuing what you are and what the advantages of that are? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, uh, I'm happy to. Um, I think EVM equivalence is, um, is, is a standard that we like to hold ourselves to. And, um, and it also speaks to some of the, the design choices and trade-offs where we, where we would like to make along the way, um, again, based on a fundamental set of beliefs. So the belief is that we need to create, so the, the, the belief is first that um, Solidity Developers as a category has reached this critical mass. And, um, and, and multiple EVM equivalent chain success and multiple side chain success has proven that developers would like to build on the DeFi Legos that have already existed and developed a lot over the last couple of years. And uh, so, so that's one prior assumption. So in order to make sure all the great things we've built in the past, like lending protocols, um, you know, DEX, what, what, what have you, um, in order to continue kind of expanding on this Lego, rather than starting from scratch again, we believe we need to create a, a, a developer experience that is 100% EVM equivalent. That means for someone that someone can just fork Uniswap, copy, paste, and deploy on, on, on scroll. And um, that should be a, a few minutes in terms of deployment time. And they wouldn't have to worry about um, like, recoding anything and they wouldn't have to worry about doing uh, conducting an audit and um and and that reduces the uh, friction of moving over to l2 very very significantly so um evm compatibility is a slightly different approach where slightly um you know a, a trade-offs are made in in favor of um scaling so um sometimes made in favor of um, efficiency sometimes made um in favor of like underlying language optimization uh but we chose a path of prioritizing developer experience and um and 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 and, and the trade-off is that it's a humongous engineering effort um it means we have to take every single opcode um at the evm level and uh, making it completely um language compatible so i think one analogy is that kind of we're building a zk wrapper to kind of um, make sure that the end result um, being processed is exactly the same. And, and that's, that, that takes a lot of kind of very detailed and meticulous kind of engineering work. And, and, and hence why, like, I think Scroll, like out of our 60 people, um, 40 are engineers. That's by far the largest team. And, um, and, and I think with, with this team, we're, we're, we're just, um, you know, super bullish that, you know, this is going to become, uh, I think, like the, the, the engineers that are using our network will be able to feel the difference. Yeah, it makes sense that uh, the um, the the version that's easiest to uh, use for for outsiders would also be the version that's uh, hardest to make initially. Um, with these different approaches, one thing that I've been asking uh, our guests or the ones that are related to this space is uh, whether you see um, these different roll-up solutions as kind of a winner-take-all type of situation uh, where um, there's a lot of proposed, uh, proposed solutions right now, but um, in the end, the best one will come along and everything will will migrate to that one? Or do you think uh, there's different types for different uh, applications? Um, or, um, I guess this is kind of a hard question to answer, but do you think, uh, do you think that uh, the first, there would be an early mover advantage um, where uh, the one that uh, kind of uh, 
comes out first gets a lot of the attention. And even if something comes out later that is potentially better, it would struggle to capture market share. It was a long question. Sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm trying to like break it down a little bit. OK, um, so, so, so I think the first question is relatively easy. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a winner take all. And um, just like even though um, Ethereum has somewhat like, you know, quote unquote won the L1 war, um, there are, there's still a huge design space for other innovative L1s to come and, um, and capture market share. And I, I think it will be somewhat the same for layer two. Um, the, 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 the nuance is that I think the window of opportunity for new, uh, for new L2s will be a lot shorter in terms of the time frame. So, um, the, the, the way I see it, in the, 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 the path to achieving a, a truly equivalent and, and very user-friendly and also secure uh, ZKEVM takes like three to five years minimum. So, um, and, and, and with unexpected requests or, or market demands or, or new information coming in, it could easily be a seven to eight-year race. Um, I think that the, the current difference between... Um, some of the major players being like a month or two is not going to make a major um, difference, uh, to be honest. So if you thinking think about the, the, the kind of, if you compare this particular L2 um, moment as the broadband moment in the internet age, um, you're talking about kind of the difference of having like a, a broadband expander, like being a few months um, being a, a few months kind of um, ahead of each other, and um, and without knowing at what point will the Google and and my uh, without knowing which point in time would the Googles and MySpace and Facebooks of Web three will arrive, I think a, a few months is relatively insignificant. But um, if the difference is a couple of years, then I think that will uh, then 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 that's a different story. So um, I think of all the major players that 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 we're aware of now, everyone is within um, the the reasonable play because we're all just at the first innings of a of a very long race. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it really seems like uh, this year we're hearing so much about. Um, zero knowledge scaling solutions. Um, is that because there was uh, like a breakthrough recently that kind of enabled uh, all of these ideas uh, or made them seem plausible? Or is it just kind of a coincidence that we're now uh, seeing all these different solutions emerge? Uh, what do you think about that? Um, do you mind repeating the question? I'm not sure if I. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, was there some uh, zero-knowledge-related breakthrough recently that uh, kind of spawned uh, all these different proposed solutions? Or is it uh, that uh, all these projects were working in stealth mode for a long time and they just popped up now? Or um, it seems like we're seeing kind of a confluence of, of ZK efforts right now. Yeah, um, from, from my perspective, there's been a flurry of ZK innovation that came out not only from academic research, but also from applied um, companies that have been kind of um, uh, kind of developing zk public tools and um, and essentially we're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and we're, we're using a lot of tools that have been developed by um, Aztec and some by Zcash and um, and and these kind of made a lot of the zk theory uh, practic uh, practic uh, practical 
practical, but basically it, it makes it like more realistic to be applied in a, in a usable context. And, and so that was the fundamental um, space. And then second of all, I think the, um, the, the, the level of tension brought to the space drew in more talent. And, um, and, and thirdly, um, this, this kind of, um, push for more open source brought more light. So, so, um, all the ZK teams are very quickly learning from each other and, uh, adapting to different, um, you know, adapting to different, um, kind of, um, ways of, um, using bits and pieces from other people's projects. So I think that that's something that's very interesting and also very unique to this kind of um, open source space. Speaking of a uh, lot of people coming in recently and uh, working on open source projects, um, I'm curious what the biggest differences are between uh, working on an open source project and, for example, working on uh, uh, on a, a company project? Um, from, from my first-hand experience, the difference is that there are lots of open-source developers who are just not hireable for various reasons. Um, either they've already reached a level of like financial security because they've invested in crypto early, or that um, they're, they're motivated by doing something interesting, or they have a, a job elsewhere and they like to tinker with this in their spare time, or they're they're an academic and um, and, and they prefer the, they find the, the the pursuit of teaching more fulfilling. So so people from all walks of life can participate in whatever capacity they they would like to, and and that's a real game changer. So if I wanted to make any kind of contribution to Google or make any suggestions to Apple, I probably can't do that. Whereas um, the, the, with open source project, it's built in a way where you can ask intelligent questions and grow with the project and, and also um, kind of contribute in meaningful ways. So um, in our Discord, um, in the research channel and um, in, in, the, in, in the engineering integration channel, there's constantly kind of a, a, a flurry of interesting questions that are coming from all angles. And, and sometimes they're super helpful in terms of setting us in a, uh, in a direction. And sometimes they're helpful in terms of kind of um, you know, forcing us to explain things in a way that's more accessible. And, um, and, and that also kind of consolidates certain concepts and values um, in, in our minds internally and aligns the community. So I think that that's the major difference. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it seems like it would, it would be very uh, exciting to be a part of something like that. Um, but I'm sure there's also trade-offs, um, maybe... I don't know, in terms of speed or um, efficiency, uh, are, there, are there any um, disadvantages of open source development, uh, any challenges that you've had to overcome? Yeah, um, so, so I think it is an organizational challenge. And um, so we've actually found that it's helped our speed um, because it just holds us accountable and, um, and, and it gets us into a shipping mindset. So every week we have to ship something and that, um, kind of, you know, one, when, when you're sitting on some homework on your own, there's this tendency to be like, oh, this is not quite perfect. This is not quite ready. Maybe I'll wait for like a little bit until it's hundred percent. And, and that mentality in a, in a more close team setup, um, tends to, tends to hold, um, t t tends to hold things back a little bit. So, um, th this kind of shipping mentality, I think has actually helped us push things forward. And I think a lot of people, 
when, when we set out this project, I think a lot of people expected to see our testnet and first iteration of the product in five years' time. And, um, and I think we've managed to get here um, with, within a year and a half, um, mostly due to this, this culture that, that we've built and, and set out from day one. But it, it is very challenging from a coordination perspective. But, um, but that's also the interesting thing because Ethereum um, as a concept is, is solving a human coordination problem or on a global level. Um, so I think that's something that every, every Web3 company should learn from and adapt to. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious how you were able to foster that uh, environment of shipping weekly um, and uh, and working very speedily. Um, I think partially um, it, it starts from a, a, a kind of a classic agile sprint setup. And um, we coordinate it in a decentralized way by breaking down the team um, into smaller groups. And so there, there can be kind of more, um, more, more uh, higher quality discussions. And it just means we run the agile method kind of on, on a weekly basis. And, um, and I think that the, 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 I think the DNA and the quality of the initial team members sets the tone for this culture of kind of, um, you know, wanting to contribute and, um, and kind of, um, you know, being kind of very, very self-motivated to participate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very impressive. Um, I'm curious how, uh, how you incentivize participation, whether it's um, developers joining the project or you mentioned um, provers um, uh, forming a, a, a decentralized prover network in the future, or even just community participation. Um, how do you think about incentives um, compared to a company model where uh, people are getting uh, paid a salary to work, um, the company's profits will uh, increase if they if they ship a successful product. Um, how do you um, ensure that there are similar incentives in an open source project? Yeah, that that's a great question, and um, and it's something that we're we're figuring out as as we're moving along. And um, and I don't think we've quite got the right answer figured out yet. But but we're we're willing to kind of adapt and and and, and feel things out as, as time as time goes on. Um, I think there are certain team members who are um, incentivized through um, through the, the 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 Scroll Foundation in a in a semi company setup, and there are open source participants who are just genuinely interested in working from this project. And um, and there are certain open source developers supported by different companies, such as Luprin and, and Zcash. And, um, and there are developers supported by uh, Ethereum Foundation. So that makes up the core team members. And, um, but I think what, but, but obviously it's not a kind of an even process. Like, I don't think it's kind of that the compensations are evenly distributed um, in any sense. But um, having contributed to this project in such an open way and, and all your contributions are recorded in the long run, like if you draw out the timeline, then the, the, then the learning and, and the track record will, will set all the contributors up really, really well for a, a fair compensation in the long run. So I think I, I, that, that's the way I look at it. And, and I think that's the way a, a lot of the contributors think about this. Yeah, it's a good answer to uh, uh, definitely a huge challenge in this space. Um, on the one hand, the the values of decentralization, both in terms of the project and in terms of the the way it's developed, are, um, are certainly important. But then I think we have seen a lot of projects struggle 
so far with how to properly incentivize participation. I mean, in a lot of cases, we see like uh, tokens slapped onto things where it doesn't really have any utility and uh, kind of pumps initially and then just just dumps, which of course is uh, not what anyone wants, certainly not like a legit project that's trying to build something for the long term. Um, so yeah, I think it is a it is really a tough tough issue. Um, yeah, I think um, with with engineers, I think it's slightly more trackable. What is less trackable is community members and um, and and people who 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 organize events or um, kind of help spread the word. I think that that's that's even harder to track. Um, I think we'll be we'll we'll be coming up with some proposals and having a stab at this problem as a slightly later down the line. But yeah, but it's something that we're mindful and and aware of, and um, we definitely want to make sure that you know anyone that participates in this open community and economy is um, you know is, is sufficiently and also kind of correctly rewarded. I want to uh, pivot topics a little bit, but before I do that, I'll just mention to our audience that uh, we're going to be taking questions a little bit later on. So if you do have a question for Sandy, um, get ready. We'll be, uh, we'll be opening up the floor uh, a little bit later uh, for that. Um, I'm curious about, uh, about risks. I mean, we have come through 2022. It was, uh, I mean, what a year. Everything that uh, could go wrong did go wrong, it seemed like. Um, so I'm curious how Scroll thinks about security and what kind of security it's offering to users and uh, what users should be aware of uh, um, when, uh, when they're using Scroll um, uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, yep. So, so security is um, is is a huge concern um, for us, and particularly um, because we have such kind of overwhelming community interest. So, we are anticipating um, quite quite a lot of kind of participation once our once once we have either a, a gated launch or or a full mainnet launch. And um, in order to prepare for that, there are a couple of precautions that we're taking. So, so the first. Um, First of all, um, there is, um, you know, all the funds are guaranteed by Ethereum layer one. So, so the funds are going to be safe. The, the, the bridging um, part is, um, is, is an important challenge that we're putting a lot of kind of engineering efforts into. And, um, and, 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 and we're hoping the bridging uh, user experience is going to be super seamless and also incredibly secure. Um, in terms of the core zk EVM code base, um, we've been stress testing it um, kind of since August, since uh, we, we launched it in the Stanford Blockchain Conference, and um, and up till today, um, I think we've processed um, 13 million transactions so far, and um, and it's getting closer to a million transactions per day. So um, we're, we're monitoring the the. the the various bugs that could potentially arise and, and making optimizations on a daily basis. And I think with a, as time goes on, the, 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 the risks and problems will become less and less. Um, we have an internal, so apart from using, uh, so we've engaged a number of external auditors to kind of add a fair, fresh eyes and, um, and, and, and kind of provide us with more kind of audit and, and security um, best practices, and also to, to kind of just check through the code. Uh, we've we've engaged two or three very reputable, rep, uh, very reputable teams within the industry to to do that. So third party audit, and um, and, and secondly, I think we're one of the 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 the, the, the few L two projects that has an 
a, a big in-house security team. Uh, we take security very, very seriously. So um, there, 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 there are a couple of um, security engineers whose full-time job is to to do to perform security checks. Um, in the past, as as an exercise, we've won the uh, the, the the security um, challenges, so the debugging prizes for for Aztec, and we found a few critical bugs for for the consensus EVM, and we will continue kind of volunteering our time and, and helping other L2s kind of um, identify critical problems and um, and also do that for our own. So um, it, it's something that we hope um, L2s as a category will try and avoid some of the pitfalls um, or, or or reputational setbacks from you know uh, that that we've seen in the past, and um, and this goes back to our, our security is also kind of from where we think about the security design from the fundamental social context. So having no single point of failure is also a security guarantee, and being open source is another layer of security guarantee, and um, having third party auditors is another level of security guarantee, and having a dedicated team I think is a is another layer of security um, guarantee. But fundamentally, I think. Um, I think it's going to be a couple of years before anyone can be like, before any of the zk EVM projects can be like truly and a hundred percent secure, or if there ever will be. But there's going to be continuous upgrades and um, and problems and and procedures and and terms for in in case anything that uh, in case anything any 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 problem arises. So I think that the, the 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 short answer is that we're going to be prepared and we're going to be prepared for any kind of hopefully any security problems that arise and um, and it's something that we take very very seriously. Yeah, it's a good point that um, that these things will take a long time to to develop and especially to be perfected. I think perhaps uh, uh, a problem up until now is that uh, people have just been so eager to invest in things and uh, and not miss the wave that they uh, yeah they've kind of thrown themselves into things that uh, perhaps weren't even advertising themselves as being completed. In some cases, you know, it's it's a project that's still in beta. And so it gets hacked, and it's kind of to be expected, but it becomes huge news just because it already had so much money locked up in it. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually hoping that doesn't happen to any of the L2s. Um, I think I think all of the major players in L2 will probably attract quite a lot of kind of um, investor and also kind of participant interest. And, um, and, and it's our goal to make sure, like, L2 is a category. Uh, hopefully, uh, no major security, like, incidents happen. Yeah. Is it hard to find code auditors? I know with uh, with accounting auditors, crypto companies are struggling to find them because um, after, especially after FTX, no auditor kind of wanted to have their name associated and say that they had signed off on something, which then subsequently turns out to have all kinds of uh, nefarious dealings going on. But uh, is it? Do you face a similar problem, or is it uh, is it completely different? Um, I think code auditors is a slightly different um, problem. Um, I think like financial auditors, um, they have a certain set of assumptions. And I think having 
performing the audit requires like a, a very, very high level of transparency and um, a very close kind of communication and education and advocacy process. And um, so, so finger, fingers crossed that, 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 that scroll will be able to have that audit because we're, we're so transparent. And, um, and I think it's possible that um, our, our auditors can understand the, 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 the intent and also where we're coming from. And, um, and so we're coming to the financial audit process with a disclosure mindset. And, and we come to the code audit process also with a similar kind of disclosure-based mindset, um, which is that everything we have is on the table and um, we would really appreciate kind of um, interest and we're incentivizing any kind of um, bug discovery. And, um, and so once those levers are applied and uh, hopefully we find the right people with the right expertise to do this, um, then I, I think that's probably the closest to the, to the right formula. Um, but fundamentally, I, I, I'm personally a huge believer in kind of market testing um, the code. Um, there's nothing quite like shipping fast and, and shipping well and, and having kind of, you know, proper risk disclosures associated with various test nets. Um, I don't think any anywhere in the world or in, in the fintech sector or or what have you, or the web two sector, would so much money be kind of um, you know thrown around like and, and, and risked to test like novel products, right? I think that's one of the beauties of Web3. And, um, and, and, and it's amazing how many kind of first movers there are who are willing to kind of provide feedback and then test these things. And um, so, so we believe in full disclosure about our level of confidence in the code and about who has performed what kind of audits and uh, what are some of the things being discovered. So, um, so, so we're approaching it with that mindset. And, um, and, 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 and I think we are sufficiently kind of the, the, the problem is interesting enough um, to attract the best security audit talent in the world in my opinion so um, we, we've done our best to, to, to kind of source the best kind of ZK auditors there are in the world and um, and, and, and I have um, you know and I think that, that that that's the best approach to this particular problem set yeah it makes a lot of sense one thing I was wondering about um, how does uh, and talking about bridging, how does Scroll uh, compare to uh, a lot of the bridges we've seen so far where they're kind of like uh, just a multi-sig and, and funds are locked up? And then if one of the blockchains, is the, if the bridge is hacked or, or if one of the blockchains is compromised, then people can't get off of it. Um, I assume that there's uh, some different things going on with Scroll. Um, that's a great question. Um, we have some articles and um, coming out around this, and um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to come back and, and, and share our bridge design concepts then. Okay, excellent. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, are there any lessons? Uh, you said uh, the your, right now it's the pre-alpha test net. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any uh, lessons from that that were unexpected? Um, so I think we, <laughs> so, so, so I think the level of interest have been completely unexpected. And, um, so, so, so the, the, the provers that we've originally planned are, um, nowhere near, um, enough 
to kind of prov uh, provide for the level of testnet interest. And and whenever um, you know the 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 the, the provers that were that were running internally as tests have have like slowed down or became floggy, um, we we hear a lot of complaints on Discord, um, which is great. And then, then another kind of really unexpected um, thing is that how many unique wallets there are and how many different types of smart contracts are being deployed and, and tested on the Scroll testnet. So we don't have full visibility over who's building on Scroll uh, since it's kind of fully permissionless. Um, but um, just the kind of the data and the stats that we're tracking is um, is is absolutely phenomenal, and and that's really really exciting. Um, another thing that's unexpected is um, I think um, another thing that's really unexpected is that how many um, kind of uh, partners are. Are, are, are willing to kind of um, volunteer their resources to contribute to the prover thing. So once we've identified this problem that we just need to kind of add more provers to support the testnet, um, there's just been like a, no a number of kind of friendly entities that have volunteered their provers to come and participate. So um, so, so that's also been been super, super helpful and, and unexpected. So we're, we're overwhelmed and, and very, very grateful for the support. Yeah, that's great. Um, so right now, We've been working on uh, on top of Ethereum, and we talked at the beginning about some of the philosophical differences between Ethereum and some of the other chains. Um, but would you uh, consider expanding to other chains uh, in the future? Some kind of uh, uh, interoperability or modularity with with other chains? Um. I think on a high level, philosophically, we support like a modularity um, future. Um, but in a more kind of down to earth answer is that we're just heads down building the core product and, um, and we're trying to ship the mainnet as soon as possible. And um, as far as the business opportunity goes, I think Ethereum needs this the most. And, um, and Ethereum also has the most kind of innovative builders. So I think essentially we're, we're set to follow where the builders are. So um, we're going to follow our, our, our developers and, 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 and builders to wherever they want to go. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We, we've talked about a few things that you've got coming down the pipeline, but uh, is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we can look forward to uh, in the near future over the course of this year from Scroll? Uh, yep. So um, I think our, our, our mainnet will, will happen a lot faster than people expect. And, um, and, and, and so that's something that, that the world is super looking forward to. And, um, and then another thing is that, uh, we, we would love to kind of have our, our, our documentation and, and information available in more languages. And so if there are, uh, if anyone would like to kind of help translate our blogs into Japanese, that that's something that we would really, really appreciate. Um, I, I see our, our, our DevRel have joined the, um, our head of DevRel have joined the, the call. <laughs> I think um, I think Japan is a super um, exciting market for us, and um, we'd love to kind of um, engage the, the the builders here in, in, a, in, a, in kind of a, a deeper capacity. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, I mean, we uh, we do have a global audience, but of course we're based in Japan, so uh, yeah. I always love this shout out to Japan and uh, and uh, yeah, building a community here as well. Mm -hmm. Um. To round this out, uh, we like to ask our guests, um, since they are they tend to be uh, founders in Web3, do you have any advice for other Web3 founders or uh, aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, one 
one advice is that um, is that try and kind of keep an eye on the the big open problems that have yet to be solved, and um, and as long as you're kind of focused on 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 solving problems and um, the solution does add value to 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 to, to someone, then I think that the business will come. So um, yeah, I, I think that's the that that's the lesson that I would probably share today. Yeah, focus on the problem, and, uh, and the business will come. Um, how about uh, we talked before about coordinating an open source project? Do you have any advice for other people um, trying to launch an open source project or struggling with the coordination problem? Uh, yeah. So I think the best way to to kind of to, to to kind of learn about this is to join an open source project that that, that you identify with and um, and then you feel excited by. And during the working process, I think that's the best way to learn how these coordination problems are dealt with. Um, these are kind of what I would kind of call like niche knowledge that's not really possible to be learned from school. And um, and 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 I don't think you can learn that from any like Web two company. So um, I think I think the only way to do it is to kind of like learn by practice, like learn by kind of participation. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, what are you looking forward to outside of Scroll? Uh, any other DeFi Legos? Um, maybe something that'll have synergy with Scroll or something completely unrelated. Um, yeah, I think um, one thing that um, I'm, I'm personally quite interested in is, um, is, is stable coins and, um, and, and also kind of um, and home staking. I think these are um, like stable coin is kind of a well-established use case within the crypto space. And, um, and I think we haven't seen any kind of major innovation in the, in the stable coin space in quite a while now. Um, I think USDC and and, and USDT etc um, is innovative from a kind of compliant and also like you know um, a, a usability perspective. That's 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 interesting. But but these innovation happened quite a few years ago, um, and, and 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 Maker was a major innovation, um, and and it's super helpful in terms of like providing pro- providing leverage and, um, and 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 but that but Maker also happened like quite a few years ago so there's been a few years where there hasn't been any kind of uh, kind of wild and, and ambitious um, stablecoin experimentations that that haven't kind of failed very suddenly so I think there's a design space between where maker and, and USDC is and um, and where Luna is I think between the the going too far and um, and being a little bit too conservative I think that the, the design space is wide open for the taking. Yeah, it's an interesting issue. I, I think you're right in that uh, UST really uh, turned everyone off of um, thinking about algorithmic stablecoins for a while. Uh, but now we're seeing, uh, at least in the U.S., some uh, some heat being put on some of these, uh, well, supposedly regulated stablecoin issuers. Um, I, I recently heard that people are kind of turning back towards uh, Tether because... Uh, some of these more compliant ones like USDC are now uh, facing some questions. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think you're you're right. We're, we're due for some innovation in that space. Uh, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to add, Sandy? Uh, nope. I, I think that's been really, really comprehensive. Um, 
yeah, uh, appreciate the invite. And um, yeah, any questions, feel free to like ping me. I'm, I'm active on Twitter. I'm active on Discord. And, um, and so is the, the rest of the scroll team. Yeah. Yeah. Where would you like to send people to uh, to find out more or to get involved after this? Yes. So um, our, our documentation can be found on um, guide.scroll.io. Um, or just kind of go through our website, scroll.io. And um, any questions, I think Discord is probably the best kind of avenue. Amazing. Sandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. You too. All right. That was Sandy Peng from Scroll. For those of you who joined us midway, the recording of this space will be posted momentarily and released as a podcast in the coming days on all your favorite podcast platforms. We do these spaces weekly on all things Web3, so follow us on Twitter at CoinPost underscore global so you don't miss out. Our next episode is going to be with Mantle Network, which is a modular L2 being developed on Ethereum as well. Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, we'll be posting details soon, and I'll see you there. Uh, one important announcement, CoinPost is hosting a conference this July in uh, Tokyo that will bring together Web3 companies, developers, investors, and others from around the world for two days of incredible sessions and networking. Actually, there will be events for longer than just the two days, uh, but uh, it'll, the conference itself will be on July 25, 26, uh, 2023. So we hope to see you here in Tokyo. Uh, Sandy, we'd love to see you and scroll here as well, as I mentioned. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, we would love to be um, at the conference and also we'll be posting this uh, on our socials and, and our channels as well. So um, looking forward to the post edit and um, yeah, hopefully um, see you guys at some point in, 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 in hackathons and, and also online events around the world. Thanks guys awesome. for listening. Finally, bear in mind that nothing said here was financial advice. Crypto investment is risky. You could lose everything you put in. There are fundamental differences from traditional investment. That said, we think this is absolutely the space to be watching, so we hope you're as excited as us to learn and join our community. That's it, folks. Have a GM. 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 GM Radio.